Welcome to Orchard Community Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We are glad you are here to learn, grow, and deepen your relationship with Christ. This week's message is brought to you by Pastor Matt Hoyt. This morning we are continuing on in our series of messages, Real Faith for Regular People, based on the book of James. We've only got after this one more in the series. We'll take a break next week and celebrate Pentecost, the birth of the church, and then we'll finish up that last section of James the week after that. As we've noted, James is this practical book in the scripture. It really focuses on living your faith every day, dealing with the kinds of real-life situations that regular people have to deal with day in and day out. And it has a down-to-earth approach that really resonates with regular people like you and me. But we've also talked about the fact that James isn't just a practical book. It's also a spiritual book. It's about a spirituality that we live, as opposed to going to find secret knowledge up on some mountaintop in a far-off corner of the world or the impossible idea that we need to somehow become some superhuman saint of the the faith, what James really is focused on is an organic kind of spirituality that can grow up right here, right now, in the lives of regular people just like you and me. The call of James is really to put our faith into practice as we live each day, and the promise is that if we do that, God really will grow us spiritually in some wonderful ways. Now, you might remember that with our passage last week, James confronted the fact that there were some rich people in the community that he was writing to, and they were behaving badly. We heard that they were withholding wages, that they were being dishonest with people, and that there had even been some people who had been killed. So James was uh, writing to believers that are suffering at the hands of these rich people, and he's offering here in this passage a word of advice, a word of advice about patience as we face suffering. That's what our passage is about today, about patience, and in particular, as we face those hard moments of life. Now, for most of us, patience is kind of a daily challenge, isn't it? It's something that we need all the time, let alone when life gets hard, and I really think that it is especially hard to learn patience today. In this age of technology, where the internet and the cell phones have so trained us to expect an immediate response from every single thing that happens in our lives. As we grow older, it takes patience to deal with the fact that our bodies are slowing down and we're dealing with aches and pains. And then everyone of every age has to deal with the reality that we face difficult situations and we face difficult people all the time in this life. So patience is something that we could all use a little bit more of on a daily basis, but especially when we're dealing with with those moments in life where things become very difficult or maybe even when we suffer. And that's what James is talking about today. So pray with me. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would speak with the power of your Holy Spirit that these words of Scripture would come alive for us and speak your wisdom to our hearts about patience in everyday situations, about patience in hard moments, about patience when we're called to wait. Lord, we pray that you'd speak wisdom to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So our passage is James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, if you would like to follow along. James writes this. He says, be patient then 
brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crops, patiently waiting for autumn and the spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brother and sister, or you will be judged, for the judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who persevered. You have also heard of Job's perseverance and seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Verse 7, James begins, and he says, be patient then. And the word that James uses here, it literally means long-suffering. Long-suffering. So it describes an attitude of self-restraint, one where we are not seeking to get even for wrongs that are done. So patience by nature is a kind of suffering. It's learning self-restraint in the face of things and people that frustrate us, that upset us, and even hurt us. Long-suffering, patience. The word then, be patient then, kind of harkens back to the fact that they're in this tough spot with these rich people that are causing trouble. So notice, though, that the patience James calls for, he doesn't say, hey, just be patient. He, in fact, says, be patient until the Lord's coming. And we might think, well, okay, what is exactly does James mean by that? And what James is doing by putting it that way is he's trying to give us some perspective. Because perspective is really important when it comes to patience. And it's really easy for us to lose perspective in this life on all kinds of things. And when we do that, when we lose our perspective, we can get the importance of things all out of whack in our lives. And pretty soon, a long line at the store or that guy driving slow in the fast lane can cause us to just have an absolute meltdown, can't it? By mentioning Christ's return, James is reminding us of the big picture. And in light of the big picture, things like lines and traffic turn out to be kind of minor, don't they? Yeah, so perspective is good. Now, along these lines, I've mentioned this before because I, I love this little bit. There was a comedian that I w was watching on TV one time, and he was telling this story about how he had chewed his wife out. And he had chewed his wife out because she had had the audacity to hang the toilet paper in their bathroom with the paper coming under instead of over, which in his opinion was the wrong way to do it, all right? And she came back at him with what uh, he noted uh, was a fantastic response after his whole diatribe about the toilet paper. She simply looked at him and said, you know, I wish I had a man with more on his mind, Pretty good, huh? Yeah, yeah. So keeping our eye on the big picture can help us keep small frustrations from becoming disproportionately large to us, like the toilet paper. And I really want to call us to think about how much time and energy impatience over the small things can really it, it can rob from us. And I'd like us to think about this. When Jesus returns, we too 
might want to have more on our minds <laughs> than some of the minor frustrations of life, you know? And frankly, if it's something that we would want to do when Jesus returns, it's good enough to start doing now. Being patient and not getting so bogged down in the minor things of life. But really what James is saying here is bigger than this. There's another level here because James is reminding us that the big picture, it doesn't just shed light on this world. It does that. But what James is saying is that the big picture is a reality that is actually bigger than this world, that is actually better than this world. Because as people of faith, we know, as I said with the baptism, that Jesus has already lived, Jesus has already died, Jesus has already risen again, and we know that he's going to return someday. And that reality causes us to understand things differently in this life than the way that the world does. In the eyes of the world, faith is foolishness, but we know a greater truth, don't we? In the eyes of the world, we should just look out for number one. But our faith calls us to look out for the least of these, is how Jesus describes it. In the eyes of the world, how we live and what we do is our own business, and no one gets a say in that. But we believe in a God who calls us to be people of character, integrity, and love. And in the eyes of the world, when life deals us an unfair hand, we lose. And when we die, there is nothing because this world is all that there is. But we know that God holds something bigger. We know that God holds something even better than this life beyond this reality. And that is so important for us. We believe in a God who will bring us through whatever the trials of this life are, whatever life throws at us. We believe in a God who can carry us through it so that even when we suffer and even if and of course when we die, we know that it's going to be okay because we know that God is going to take care of us and that he has something bigger and even better than this life. This is why the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he's talking about the difficulty of life, and he says this, he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, Paul is not trying to belittle our struggles by calling them light and momentary. And we shouldn't think that because the difficult things that we face are difficult. And some folks uh, just face horrible things. And, and Paul is not making light of that. What Paul is doing is he's saying, when you take the struggles of this life and you compare them to an eternity in heaven with God, they begin to pale comparison to that greater reality that God holds for us. So even when we suffer, we remember that God is in control. We put our faith in him and we seek to do our best to be patient. That is where James is going with this. Now, sometimes it's hard for people to do that. Sometimes people look out at the evil in this world, at the horrendous things, and they say, it's too much. It's too bad. I just cannot believe that there is a God if these kinds of bad things happen. That's, there's too much pain. There's too much suffering. It's too unfair. So I do not believe. But when we do that, what we're saying is that this world is all that there is, 
and only what happens here counts. And in my mind, that sets up a far more unfair, a far more painful reality because it has no word for the people who are dealt a bad hand in this life. What about the baby who dies at birth or in infancy? What about people whose lives are cut short by violence or illness? What about people who suffer all kinds of things in this life? What about people whose bodies become a prison for them and they're trapped for years and years by all kinds of different maladies that can happen? There's no word for them. There's nothing for them. There's no ultimate justice for the wrongs in this world that go unchecked. And to me, that is way more unfair. To me, that is way more painful than saying there's a God who holds something more, something better, that there is ultimate justice. I believe in a God who has that for us. So then we might ask, well, okay, but why do we suffer And, you know, I can answer that in like 10, 15 seconds, right? No, you could fill an entire library with volumes on on why we suffer. But I'm just going to give you one kind of illustration that I think maybe explains it. So when I grew up, I played sports a lot. And if you play sports a lot, you inevitably get injured because that comes along with sports. I had a perpetually sprained ankle for about six years. So you might ask, by playing sports, you could get injured, and sometimes people get injured really badly. We saw that football player this year that had a cardiac arrest on the field. So knowing that you could get hurt, knowing that you could get hurt badly, you might think, why in the world does anybody play sports? And the answer is really simple, because they're awesome, all right? It's awesome, right? And for people who do it, they feel like it is way worth the risk. And in the same way, I think that life is dangerous too, And yet, it's awesome. It's worth the risk. God has given us the incredible gift of this life, knowing that we might get hurt, but he still gives it to us because it's an awesome gift and because even if we do get hurt, and we probably will along the way, God is going to take care of us. That is our faith. Now, turning back to our passage, because we diverged a little there. I don't know if you noticed that. So turning back to our passage, verse 7, James offers the example of farmers. And that's a good example when it comes to patience, because farming is slow business. Farmers plant crops, and then they have to wait for the crops to grow up until the harvest. And you can't just plant willy-nilly. You've got to plant the right time of year. You've got to get the soil ready. You've got to do all this stuff. And this was especially true back in the ancient days before they had modern irrigation, because they were at the whims of the weather. And so it could be kind of perilous. So farmers had to see the big picture and work and wait and be patient until the harvest. And on Honestly, that's often how life is, isn't it? It's easy for us to get frustrated when things get hard and we can want to give up. You can imagine a farmer want to give, give up when it doesn't rain. But we can want to give up on our hopes. We can want to give up on our dreams. We can even want to give up on our faith, on who God has called us to be and what he's calling us to do. But James here is calling us not to give up. James is calling us to be people who rise above those things and seek to patiently endure them. Now, sometimes what we do is we don't actually give up. We keep going. But as we do, we kind of let the struggles of life get the best of us. 
We lose our patience. And the frustrations of life begin to consume us and shape us. And it can get kind of ugly. Think of your most impatient moment. How attractive is that guy? You know, I, I know that's not me at my best. Impatience can turn us into people that we don't want to be. One mom put it this way. I don't want my kids to grow up thinking of me as the, their mom, as the angry person whose main concern was keeping the house cleaned, you know, or the dad who yells or the grandparent who criticizes, you know, because when we're impatient, those little things become more important to us in that moment than the people in front of us when we're all out of whack. So with verse 8, James calls us again to be patient and to stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. That's the perspective that we need. And we should ask, where would I want to be patience-wise if Jesus was indeed going to return in 30 days? Because it could happen, you know? Well, I want him to find me, you know, stressing out over things that have no eternal consequence that don't really matter. Or would I rather have him find me focused on things that really do indeed matter. Now, verse 9, James touches on one of the things that happens when we're impatient, and he says it this way. He says, we begin to grumble against one another. You never do that, right? Just me. Yeah, I know. So first of all, when we're impatient, we tend to say unkind things, things that we usually end up regretting, and we forget that even if someone else is wrong, and they may be, we forget that even if someone else is wrong, God still has a call on my life to behave in a certain way and to be a certain kind of person and to be patient. Now, other times what we do is we don't actually say anything to the person who's upset us. What we do is we go and talk to a bunch of other people and we drag them into our impatience party, you know? Or there's some situation that happens and instead of talking to someone who can actually do something about it, we just, you know, spread our impatience all over the organization or the church or the family or, or whatever is going on. And none of that kind of stuff is really helpful at all. So in response to this, James again reminds us of the big picture that as people of faith, we're accountable to God. And it's not just for our grumbling, that's true, but it's also for our anger and our callousness and our self-centeredness and all the things that a lack of patience can lead to. And if you think about it, a lack of patience leads again to a lot of ugly stuff that we don't want to be. So James uses kind of hyperbole here. He uses some over-the-top language. He says, you will be judged, and the judge is standing at the door. And the thing to remember is that you and I and James, we all know that God has grace and that we'll be forgiven. So I don't think by using these words that James's intention is really to scare us. The judge is at the door. Well, I don't think he wants to scare us a lot. I think he just wants to scare us a little bit. You know, I think he wants to remind us that our grumbling and our mistreatment of others and our impatience is wrong, that it's not pleasing to God, that we can do better and that we should seek to do better. Now, I also want to touch on something that I do from time to time because it's a myth in our culture that I think is really unhealthy. It's the myth of the pressure valve. And the myth of the pressure valve says that if you're angry or frustrated, you shouldn't uh, keep it inside. You should let it rip because if you don't let it rip, that's unhealthy for you. And you'll just, I don't know, you'll, your face will turn red and you'll boil over and, and all those kind of things. But studies have shown that actually the opposite is true. Every time that you lose your temper, guess what? 
you are more likely to lose your temper again. That's how we are. We're creatures of habit. We're people of pattern. And so letting our anger, letting our frustration, letting our impatience rip just creates a pattern that we're more likely to uh, live into more and more. And what's really interesting about this is that this is exactly what the scripture has always said. Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. So we need to learn to deal with our anger and our frustration in constructive ways. Exercise is a great one. Talking it out with people. There are ways of dealing with our anger that don't establish negative patterns in our life. And we also need to realize that the same principle of pattern is applicable to patience too. Every time that we encounter a difficult situation and we practice patience, we are more likely to be patient the next time because we're building up that pattern. We're flexing that spiritual muscle. We're shaping our character more in the way that God calls us to be. You know, a pastor had a young man come to him and the young man said, pastor, I would like you to pray for me that I would have patience because I'm really struggling. And so the pastor said, great, I will pray for you to have patience. And they, they got down on their knees and they started to pray. And the pastor said, Lord, send this young man frustration." Send him trying situations one after another. Send him difficult people every day, Lord. Send him these things. And at this point, the young man was kind of shocked and frustrated. He blurted out. He said, Pastor, that's not what I asked for. I asked for you to pray for patience. And then the pastor responded. and He said, it's through all of these things that I'm asking the Lord to send you that you're going to learn patience. And we're just like this young man sometimes. We want God to just give us a magic infusion of patience, like overnight. And the way that the Lord most often grows us in patience in other ways is through the situations that we face. And patience is developed through facing, most of the time, difficult situations and difficult people and learning to um, to have restraint and to have that kind of patience So James closes with two examples. and Verse 10, he reminds us of the patience of the prophets. The prophets spoke the word of the Lord to people who often didn't want to hear it. That's the story of Israel. The prophet raises up and says, hey, we're getting off track. And the people go, eh, we don't want to hear that message. And we need to keep in mind that sometimes the people that we are most impatient with are the people that are trying to tell us the truth. That's just a... Strange feature of human life. This is why Israel had a terrible habit of ignoring, abusing, and even killing the prophets. And I think it's also worth noting that one of the key hallmarks of those prophets was that they were patient. They were patient as they spoke the word of the Lord to some really unfaithful people at times. That's example one. The example number two is Job. From the book of Job. Job was a righteous person and he suffered greatly if you read the book of Job. At one point in Job, it's it's really a low point, he's lost everything he has, he's lost most of his family, his health is declined and is deteriorating, he's covered head to toe in boils, all right, because that's fun, and he's suffering, and the only relief he has, it says, is he lies down in the ash, and he scrapes his boil with broken pieces of pottery, and it's really a, a gross and ugly image, and I think that James calls it to mind, because when we are suffering, we tend to think we're the only one, or that our suffering is the worst one, and James is reminding us, oh, that's 
really not true. Lots of people suffer lots of things. But then if we remember what Job did, despite the awful situation that Job was in, he didn't give up. He didn't turn away from his faith, even though his wife really urged him to do that. Job persevered, and God brought him through his suffering to a place of health and restoration. And if you're looking at the scripture there, two times James says that Job persevered. And it's really important to know that in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, that word persevered can also be translated as endured patiently. That's what Job did, and that's our call too. So with his closing words in this passage, James reminds us that God is full of compassion and mercy, and we are to be full of those things too. Patience is something that we can be really hypocritical about. We want other people to have patience with us whenever it is that we might be struggling or we're the problem. But so often we do not have compassion and mercy enough to have adequate patience with other people. And we should also remember that in, the, in chapter 2, one of the things James lifted up was Jesus' call for us to love our neighbor as ourselves, and surely that includes patience as well. So finally, and most importantly, we should keep in mind always that God has patience with us. God has more patience with us than any person ever could. God is more patient with us than we deserve he is always full of mercy and compassion. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to keep his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And one last bit, I think in Jesus we need to recognize God knows what it is to suffer as well. Jesus suffered death on the cross, and he did that for you and for me, he patiently trusted God's plan. So we need to learn to be patient, patient with one another, patience when life gets hard, remembering the big picture that God is in control and will bring us through whatever this life throws at us. So I'll leave you with this question. What situation, what person in your life is God calling you today to seek to have greater patience with that you might grow more in Christ's likeness? Amen. Pray with me. Loving God, we are so grateful that you are patient with us because we fail in so many different ways. We would pray that you would help us to do the same, that you would help us to heed your word and to become people who are patient, not just for the people around us, so that we might be kind and compassionate and merciful to them, but also for ourselves, Lord, so that our character might be molded not by impatience, but more in the model of Jesus, the patient one. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.